1: for joining us. The foundation of genuine salvation is based on our belief in and application of the entire uncompromised Word of God. We must live in it, walk in it, talk in it, aid in it, love in it, stand firm in it, abide in it, and so on. All love, honor, and glory belong to God. We must continuously strive to abide in the Word of God and all that we think, say, and do. This is the true measure of genuine salvation. Listen with Bible, pen, and paper handy as Pastor Rander enlightens us today on how to know if we are genuinely saved.
2: Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the preach word. We thank you for this privilege of preaching in your house on your day. What a privilege. What a joy. We thank you, Father, for the word. We pray that you would help me now to dispense it with clarity, with authority, insightfully, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray against satanic distractions. We pray against wandering minds and folk delving into things that keep them from learning and receiving what you have to say to them for this appointed time. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. Have your Bibles. We're going to re-engage back in First John. We're in First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 is our text. First John chapter 2. You'll get there faster if you go to the end of your Bible and move forward from there. First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. The word of God reads, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for your name's sake. Particular passage of scripture we want to preach this morning, how to know if I'm genuinely saved, how to know if I'm genuinely saved. This is a series in this book of first John, because it is critical that we know that we are saved without a doubt. Matter of fact, times are too dangerous. Satan is too busy and life is too short. For you to be wondering as to whether you are saved or not. You need to know that you know that you know you know that you've been born again and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Children need to know they are saved. Adolescents need to know they are saved. College and career students need to know they are saved. Military personnel need to know uh, that they are saved. Uh, The middle age, the, the aged all need to know that you're saved without a doubt. Don't you be thinking that you can just live any kind of way at the last minute. You can get yourself saved. You don't know where life will find you. You may not have a chance to repent. A car wreck can come so fast you don't have a, an opportunity to say, Lord, have mercy. Just blindside you before you even realize you've been blindsided and you're out of here. Some folk die with good intentions, but they're still lost and they still end up in hell. You need to settle the issue today, knowing without a doubt that you are saved. Well, with that being said, how do I know without a doubt that I'm genuinely saved? That's the question I pose to you, and you need to write, how do I know without a doubt that I'm genuinely saved? Number one, knowing that we have been forgiven gives us the assurance of our salvation. Knowing that we have been forgiven gives us the assurance of our salvation. 1 John 2, 12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. John begins verse 12 by calling all believers little children. Underline that, little children, which means uh, born ones. Those who have been born again, born from above, little born ones. When a believer genuinely confesses his sins to Christ, his sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. God no longer sees his or her sin, but only sees the blood of his son, which causes him or her to be forgiven. To forgive means to let go. God lets go our sins once we have confessed it in contrition and humility. It means to let go our sins. It means to be released of our sins. To be forgiven is to be acquitted of our sins. It is to be pronounced not guilty. Wow. God has pronounced me not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see my past. He doesn't see the sins I committed, my thoughts and all those things. I've given that to Jesus and all he sees now because I'm finished with living a lifestyle. All he sees is the blood and he pronounced me not guilty. John 1 7 says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sins forgiveness of sins bring spiritual rest when you've been forgiven of your sin only then you can have spiritual rest you won't be restless when you've been forgiven of your sin therein then you can have peace of mind which keeps us from unnecessarily beating ourselves up over past sins that God no longer remembers once we've genuinely repented. The key is genuine repentance. Uh, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It is a turning from your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I declare to you today that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse us from all sins by the way there's no such thing as a little sin a big sin a mid-sized sin sin is sin and it it's all ugly and sin grieves the heart of God and he wants us to deal with it unless he has to deal with us any sin no matter how great can be forgiven if one genuinely and humbly repents and confesses his or her sin to Jesus. That's a big thought. Any sin you say the worst thing you have done in your life now, we've done some worst thing in our life whatever it is. You don't, have, you don't, don't act like you haven't done nothing now you're not all that. You We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity there's some damnable things you've thought damnable things we have said that we have done. Scripture says there's none righteous, no not one how great a sin it is, people may be shocked, but God is not shocked because He knows we're sinners. So I declare any sin, no matter how great, say no matter how great. No matter how great. Again, a louder. No, no matter how great. Ma- how great. a little bit louder. No. no. How great. That's right. No matter how great can be forgiven if one genuinely and humbly repents and confesses his or her sins to Jesus. Listen at this now. How sighting a continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation a continual confession of sin is an indication of s- salvation i'm confessing my sins day in day out i was talking to uh, a preacher friend of mine uh, back home from home and and we were closing in prayer and he said, well, Lord, forgive us of all my, our mistakes and all that. And when he stopped talking, I couldn't wait till he said, amen. Cause I said, man, we have made mistakes. We've sinned. He said, you know what, Drake, you just as right as you can be. I said, I don't see the word mistake in the Bible. We don't make mistakes. We sin. David, when the sin against God with, against another man's wife, Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned. Call it for what it is. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't slip. I sinned. <laughs> Psalms 32 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity, which is synonymously used for sin. I said, I will confess my transgression. That's another word for sin to the Lord. You don't have to go to the Pope. You you don't have to go to the pastor. You go to the Lord. Now, if you've done something in this church that's not right and all that, you might need to come to me so we can straighten this mess up. Okay, give me some heads up. Don't shock me. Okay. (laughs) I will confess. You know what that word confess? That word confess means to agree is to say the same thing about sin As God does, it is to agree with God about your sins. I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In other words, refuse to allow Satan to give you a guilt trip over your past forgiven sins. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind that devil of his future. Did you get that? He's going to remind you of your past, even though you know you forgive it. You really admit it in your heart. You're not doing it anymore. But man, he's going to surface that thing. He's going to resurface it. Satan wants you to fall back into that. He wants you to have a false sense of guilt when you've actually been forgiven. So you remind the devil that that thought is from you. I know who I am and who I belong to. I've already dealt with my sin to God. You get away from me in the name of Jesus. You might know my past. I know your future. You're going to the lake of fire. Leave me alone in the name of Jesus. That's right. Once you genuinely repented and turn from your sins, then accept God's forgiveness and refuse to revisit the sins of your past. God's word gives you permission to live in freedom. Did you know that? God's word give you permission to live in freedom and refuse to allow anyone to guilt trip. You or steal your freedom in Christ. The word of God, when you treasure it, when you read it, when you meditate on it, when you allow it to sift your heart. The word of God is a is a cleanser and it removes those sinful stains. And uh and no one should come into your life trying to guilt trip you. You know, cause you, are, you, you have folk in your life that you've sinned with. Look how quiet he got now. And they know your past. I don't know what he's doing. And when you see them, they, they, they thinking you gonna say something about it. If you don't, they will. Or they're in it and all that, and all that kind of stuff. But listen, don't let anybody take you back down that road. That's right. When you are forgiven, you're forgiven. John eight thirty six says, therefore if the son makes you free, you shall be free. Indeed, the Lord provides freedom. Number two, there is no salvation. Uh, How do I know if I'm genuinely saved? There is no salvation apart from knowing Christ personally. There's no salvation apart from knowing Christ personally. First John 2, 13 through 14 says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from In verse 13, John uses the words, you can underline this, John uses the word fathers. John uses the words fathers, young men, and little children to refer to the three levels of spiritual maturity in God's family. See, God uses the word fathers, young men, and little children to refer to three levels of spiritual maturity in God's family. The spiritual goal of believers should be to grow into spiritual fathers as well as spiritual mothers. If you're a father, you ought to be a spiritual father. If you're a mother, you ought to be a spiritual mother. I'm a spiritual father to to, to all of you in the sense that I have watch, I watch over your soul. All those pastors and wives, my wife and I give leadership to over in Africa, the pastoral nurturing that we have in the city where they come here and eat and dine. And I labor with all these pastors and wives, small churches, large churches, all kind of we quarterly meet here. My wife and I, I'm a spiritual father. She's a spiritual mother to all these pastors and wives. I am seen as one of the pillars uh in this city, one of the spiritual fathers in this city after having pastoring pastored in this town for 37 years. That's a long time to be in one place to the glory of God. I've led people to Christ. I've gone to the jail. I've been to the nursing home. I've baptized your children and some of your children's children. I've dedicated your babies in the Lord. I've seen your children grow up into adulthood and now I'm blessing their babies. You know, I've buried your parents' As some of you sadly I buried your, your children and on and on it goes that's why I believe a pastor does the church most good when he can be a tenured pastor who stayed there long enough to build that kind of legacy in that congregation to the glory of God if you have <laughs> if you have a pastor swinging through here every two or three years every two or three years every you every time you get some kind of spiritual traction, all of a sudden you start over again, you know, and you don't like this. one. I the last one was much better. Why did he have to go and all that kind of stuff? But I have been here. My wife has been here and we have served you faithfully. Why? In the best of times and worst of time, we have served you. We've held our post because we've been called to it. We've been called. to. It. Now, if you are hollering and you just want you for the money, you 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 fly by night when it gets hard you you out of here, but I tell you what when persecution and all kinds of things hit, we just go before our knees, we stay with it, we agonize, we trust God, we pray, we move forward and try to be a living example of how to handle adversity so that you will learn to handle your adversity when your time comes. We want to be an excellent model before you to the glory of God the Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. These are spiritually mature saints. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. You possess a deep and rich knowledge of God's word. You know, don't, don't call yourself a spiritual mother, or spiritual father. And you don't have a deep knowledge of God's word. You know what? A spiritual father or a spiritual mother. They see all of life through the lens of scripture. They see the scripture, they don't see politics, they don't see media, they see all of life through the lens of scripture. A spiritual father, a spiritual mother, they commune with God in prayer and have an intimate relationship with him. A spiritual father, a spiritual mother knows how to say the right thing at the right time to comfort, to console, and to bring healing to the hurting What the church is in dire need of is more spiritually mature believers who know how to keep the main thing. The main thing, more spiritual fathers and mothers who know how to protect the unity of the of the spirit. You're not about any mess. And you help young believers. There are young believers who have just come to Christ in here. Your goal as spiritual mothers and fathers is to help young, immature believers to grow into the faith. As believers grow in the word of God, it brings us into spirit. It brings us from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. Again, I say to you, as believers grow in the word of God, it brings us from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. Beloved, are you living in spiritual regression, looking more carnal than looking more like Christ? Or are you growing into spiritual maturity in Christ? Are you growing better? Or are you growing worse? In verses 13 and 14, John tells the believers, they have known him who is from the beginning. You see that right there? We're just in the text. They have known him who is from the beginning. Now, this does not refer to the beginning of time, but rather to the beginning of their relationship with Christ. It's talking about the beginning of their relationship with Christ. The word known, you see The word known, if you look closely in verses 13 and 14, the word known is used three times. You can count if you want to known, known, known three times in the text. If you look at your Bible to know Christ is not just to have intellectual knowledge about Christ. Some people have a knowledge of Christ, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. To know Christ is not just to have an intellectual knowledge about Christ, but one must know Christ personally and experientially. Okay? A lot of folk can say the right things about Christ and don't know him at all. That's why they live like the devil. They have a head now. You could quote the creeds and all the things, the Westminster Catechism and all the scripture memory, but you're not living out a dime worth of it. You have to know Christ personally. You have to know Christ experientially. Trusting the person and work of Jesus Christ alone is the only way you can know Christ and be assured of your salvation. Also, reflecting on when you first accepted Christ reassures you and removes your doubt. Anytime you begin to doubt or wonder about your salvation, just sit before the Lord and reflect back on what happened when God arrested you. When God transformed you whenever that happened back in time. And don't connect your salvific or your salvation experience with some great fantastic thing. You say, well, Lord, I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to come to you unless I see a a, a big tree and an angel standing by it. (laughs) You know, well, if you saw that angel, you might die (laughs) unsaved. Uh, I heard someone said years ago uh, that they saw God in the mirror when they were shaving, to which the person responded, well, w- w- did you keep shaving? <laughs> did you cut yourself or uh, did you shock where you shocked and you fell out and shaving cream went everywhere, all over the mirror? Because if you keep shaving, you didn't see God. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so don't, don't don't wait for some great experience. And usually those who struggle with salvation, I had that issue or children who come up in Christian homes. And at some point in time, you come to Christ, but you can't pin a date and a time to it because you came up in a Christian environment. Philippians 310 says that I may know him. I would be shocked. When I see a 22 year old, a 23 or 25 or 28 say, "Pastor, my deepest desire is not to get the degree, a $100,000 paying job, but to drive a Jaguar. You know my greatest desire, Pastor, is to know Jesus. To know him and, and and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. That that's when you know that person. Is saved that you may know God and the evidence is so glaring in your life. Thirdly, how do you know when you're saved without a doubt? Victory over Satan gives us the assurance of our salvation. Victory over Satan gives us the assurance of our salvation. First John 2 13 B says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the wicked one. You cannot overcome the wicked one, the devil, unless you are spiritually strong. Weak saints cannot overcome the devil. First John 2, 14 B says, I have written to you young men because you are strong. You can't whip the devil in your own strength. You have to be strong spiritually. Ephesians 6, 10 also says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, this is not talking about be strong because you have muscles, biceps, because you can run fast because you can pick up heavy weight. People can be all that and be a spiritual whip. You know, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. First John 2, 14 B says, and the word of God abides in you. You also cannot have victory over the wicked one unless you abide In the word of God. What does it mean to abide in the word of God? It means to continue in the word of God. Continue in the word of God. It means to remain in the word of God. It means to be steadfast in the word of God. To abide in the word is to continue in the word. To remain in the word. To be steadfast in the word of God. You are not combat ready if you do not have a genuine personal relationship with Christ before engaging in the enemy. Now, some folks think they know Christ, but don't and gonna call themselves going to fight the devil. And the devil just get them and sweep them all over the floor because they have a sad faith, a professed faith and don't have a genuine relationship. Beloved, every victory over Satan and the demonic realm increases your faith. And gives you more confidence in Christ and courage in spiritual warfare. When you defeat the devil by using your spiritual weaponry, then you are given greater confidence to rise up and do the devil more damage. You become more courageous with every victory apart from knowing Christ, apart from being strong in Christ. And apart from abiding in the words of Christ, it is absolutely impossible to have victory over Satan, victory over sin, and victory over temptation.
1: As committed children of the only true and living God, we walk by faith and not by sight. Life on earth is not easy, yet even in the midst of trials and tribulations,